This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. For as long as I can remember, strange things have happened to me. When I was young, my mother and I lived in my grandmother's house, a big drafty Victorian beast of a thing, squatting in the middle of acres and acres of hilly country land. My grandmother was old and couldn't take care of herself, and I often heard my mom whispering to her friends about how crazy she was and how she couldn't wait to put her in a home and get on with her own life. Me, being only three or four at the time, didn't understand I thought my grandmother was the most wonderful person on the planet, as little children often do. She told me stories about the little people that lived in the hills around the house, and how long ago, when she was only just a girl, she'd made a pact with the little people that allowed her to live on their land. My mother once overheard her telling me one of these stories and forbade Grandma from ever telling me anything like that again, claiming she'd just scare me. I wasn't scared. I loved fairy stories. And that's what I thought they were. Fairy stories. And I didn't understand why Mom was so upset. She'd grown up in that same house listening to Grandma's same stories, right? But every time I tried to ask her about them, she'd shush me and tell me I'd get into trouble if she heard me and Grandma talking about the little people ever again. Mine and Grandma's closeness never sat well with Mom, and as a child, I never understood the reason. I knew Mom and Grandma didn't get along. They never had, but I didn't know why. I didn't press the subject. I loved my Grandma and I loved her stories. My mother, who was serious and dark-featured, took after my Greek grandfather more than anyone else, while I looked like my grandmother. We shared the same awkwardly big ears, fair, freckled skin, and thick red hair. I remember she would often stroke my hair and sigh, 
saying my mother would never have been prepared for the responsibility of having red hair, so it was passed down to me. I always thought she was making some sort of joke, but her face was a little sad when she said it, so I never further questioned what exactly she meant. When I was six, Grandma died. She'd been sick all of my life, always fragile in health, and one night she went up to bed and never woke up. Though I was only a child, I usually helped Grandma get ready for bed, brushing her long, still vibrantly red hair and braiding it, helping her into the nightgown and tucking her in. Mom always got angry, saying a boy my age shouldn't have to do those things, but I enjoyed any time spent with my grandma. The night she died was like any other, but as I tucked her in, her thin hand suddenly grasped mine in a vice grip. The pact is up, Geroid. My name is Garrett, but grandma always said it in the traditional Irish way, Geroid. Her lilting accent making my name seem special to me, instead of the name of the three other boys in my class. The pact is up. She repeated herself, her voice sounding more intense than I'd ever heard it. I'm sorry, Garroid. There is nothing I can do. You must go from here, so they cannot find you. I was confused and a little scared then, being only six. I held her close. Who will find me, Grandma? What's wrong? She only clung my hand tighter, her voice a steadfast whisper. The little people, Gerard, the denizens of the hollow hills, the Sidog. You must go from here. I wanted to ask her more, but her hand relaxed in mine suddenly, and she was asleep. She looked peaceful, and I felt like I almost imagined the strange conversation we just had. I figured I would just ask her more about it the next morning. But the next morning, she was dead. Grandma had left all her money to Mom and her will, but the house and surrounding land to me. Since I was too young to even think about owning a house, Mom decided we'd live there until we found a better prospect. As a single mother with hectic hours at her job, a free house was too good to pass up. I went to school, mom went to work as a nurse, life went on. I continued to play in the hills and the woods surrounding the house as I always did, despite mom's incessant warnings that I shouldn't. I thought she was afraid I'd fall in a ditch or accidentally get shot by hunters during hunting seasons, and my six-year-old bravado thought I was above this. One day on a warm August afternoon, just before school started, I came back from the hills covered in scratches and bruises. I must have only been eight or nine at the time. She thought I'd fallen down the biggest hill leading down to the woods in our backyard until I told her the little people had hurt me. She didn't believe me at first. Who would? But I continued to tell her about the little people, how they came out to play with me ever since Grandma died, but they were never nice. They pinched me and scratched me and told me to leave or else. 
My mother turned white as a sheet and put down a lease on an apartment in town the very next day. Within a week, we were moved out of Grandma's house in the hills, surrounded by asphalt and car horns. When I asked Mom about the strange things that had happened to me in the childhood such as this, she claims not to remember, but she always changes the subject and her mouth gets in a tight little line. I know she remembers. Moving into the city didn't stop the strange things from happening to me. On the playground, I saw eyes in the bushes watching me. I would blink only for nothing to be there. Walking home from school, I would hear strange music in the breeze. Music that always jolted me to my bones and made my head hurt. It always sounded wrong as if it was out of tune or played on broken instruments. And once I asked a friend if he heard the music, and he called me a freak and never walked home from school with me again. As I lay asleep in our small apartment, I would see lights bobbing just outside my window, lights that were definitely not of any of the neon signs of the inner city. When I was ten, I wrapped myself up in my blankets and followed the lights, which seemed to whisper my name the way I remember Grandma saying it. My mother found me a five-minute walk away from our apartment, about to take a step over the edge of a steep ditch. She never saw any lights and made me an appointment with a psychiatrist the next day. I learned to keep what I saw hidden after that and did not follow any strange lights that whispered my name. Keeping the weird things that happened to myself didn't stop them from happening, unfortunately. They still did, even into high school. And by then, I had learned to ignore them, to convince myself it was all in my head, just like my psychiatrist told me when I was a child. I never tried to figure out what was happening to me, or who the little people were. But would you really like to know? I was 17 and an early senior, falling asleep in my literature class as my teacher droned on and on about speculative fiction. It was only then when she said a word, Sheog, and snapped me back into awareness with the force of a kick to the stomach. The Sheog in Irish folklore are what we common people would call fairies. They have plenty of names, the fair folk, the fae, the she, the little people. They're not as we think of fairies today, small women made of flowers that grant wishes, but something between an angel and a demon that isn't entirely of this world. They are cruel and delight in trickery and can be vindictive and sadistic, particularly when their land is threatened. Most mortals, that is, you and me, can't see them unless they're born with the sight. Ways to have the sight naturally were considered being the seventh child of a seventh child, or being born with red hair. She said more than that, but I stopped listening. Little people, between an angel and a demon, their land, the sight, born with red hair. The bell rang and I almost fell out of my seat. I was breathing so hard and must have looked so pale that my best friend, Sarah, put her hand on my forehead to check for fever when she came to stand by my desk. 
Jesus Christ, Garrett. Are you okay? You look like you've seen a damn ghost. No, much worse. I wanted to say, but I didn't. I just shook my head instead. Fell asleep, bad dream. You know how the lectures get. She laughed and we walked off to her lockers, with Sarah asking if I was still going to spend the night at her house that night. I said sure, and left for my car feeling like a husk with everything sucked out of me. I felt watched. When I got home, I cursed myself for saying yes to Sarah's offer. We hung out almost every weekend, but always at my house, a larger apartment my mother had bought further in city when she got a promotion a few years back. Sarah lived in a big farmhouse at the edge of the hills, and it reminded me too much of Grandma's house for my comfort. I always made excuses on why I couldn't come, but I'd been too distracted today to say no. I finally knew now what had been stalking me all my life. Little people, fair folk, or whatever you wanted to call them. My grandmother's stories suddenly made sense to me. Her father had built their house, unknowingly, on Feyland. The fairies had probably tortured them and pestered them until Grandma, the only one able to see them, somehow made a pact with them to let her family live on their land unharmed for as long as she lived. When she died, it left my mother and I at their mercy. I had no clue what sort of pact Grandma had made, as she'd never told me. I remember always asking about it, but she would always pat my hand and say it was a story for another time. Now I almost didn't want to know. As I was waiting for Sarah to come pick me up, I heard the tapping. Now at first it was faint, and I thought it had begun to rain and hit against the windows. I checked my phone, but there was only light rain scheduled for much later that evening. I brushed it off, but it continued. It sounded as if someone were standing outside my window and slowly, rhythmically, tapping on the glass with one finger. I turned around to look at the window the tapping was coming from, and it stopped, only to sound as if it were coming from further into the apartment. I must have spent five minutes running all over my house like a crazy person, trying to find the source of the tapping, only to have it come from a different window each time I investigated. I was near angry tears when Sarah beeped her horn outside, jerking me out of my frenzy. Never had I been so happy to leave my house as I scooped my overnight bag off the floor and locked the front door behind me. As I jogged to Sarah's car, I chanced the glance into the bushes outside the window where I first heard the tapping, and I froze. There was a shadow in the bushes, the shadow of something huge and looming, gnarled and twisted. I felt the breath go out of my lungs as the shadow began to move, away from me, further into the few trees planted around my complex. I don't know how long I just stood there, staring into the darkness between the trees, until Sarah laid on her horn and stuck her head out the window. Garrett, come on, you lazy ass. The sound of her laughter broke my trance, and I turned and ran headlong to her car, almost slipping on the pavement as I lurched into the passenger seat.
Whoa, you okay? You sure you want to do tonight? Because you look pretty sick at school. And you look pretty sick right now. Her voice was almost worried, which was uncommon for loud, brash, unafraid Sarah. Yeah, I'm fine. I just thought I saw something in the bushes. It's a dog, probably. Just the shadow freaked me out. You'll never know how much it freaked me out, I thought. She shook her head as she put the car into gear. You know, you watch way too many horror movies, Garrett Carter. Now let's go. I stole my dad's Netflix password, so the internet is our oyster. I forced myself to grin back as we pulled into traffic, and I chanced the glance over my shoulder at the trees. Nothing. No shadow. I still kept my eyes on the spot until we turned a corner, and I could see it no more. By the time we'd driven out to Sarah's old farmhouse, the rain had begun. Sarah was annoyed, claiming her internet shorted out every time so much as a drop of rain fell from the sky. I guess that's what we get for living out here with my family in the middle of nowhere, she sighed as we unloaded the frozen pizza and french fries we'd picked up to make dinner for later. I checked my phone to see what the weather predicted, but I had no signal or Wi-Fi. It figures, as it was just like she said, we were in the middle of nowhere. Her nearest neighbors were at least half a mile away. We put dinner in the oven and set up her Xbox so that we could watch Netflix, but as she said, the internet wouldn't connect. She was about to throw her controller through a window, but I suggested we just play video games instead, which calmed her down. We were trying to find a vampire in Skyrim when Sarah went to check on dinner, and I heard it again. The tapping. It sounded louder this time, but I figured it was just the rain, until I remember it had been raining for almost a half an hour, and it hadn't tapped on the window once like that. I swallowed the panic in my throat, and I tried to ignore it as I fought off wolves and bandits in the game. But the tapping continued, and I realized Sarah hadn't come back from the kitchen yet. I called her name, no answer, but that wasn't too odd. You see, Sarah had a large house, and if she'd gone upstairs or towards the back of the house, she probably wouldn't be able to hear me. I paused the game and stood up, intending to go look for her, when the tapping suddenly stopped. I'd been hearing it for so long now that the absence of its sound was almost louder than the sound itself, and I froze in my tracks. I was trying to psych myself up for taking another step when thunder suddenly rumbled deafeningly, shaking the glass and the windows. I'm ashamed to say I yelled, startled, as the power suddenly clicked off. So there I was suddenly alone in Sarah's dark living room when I heard my name being called. But not in Sarah's cheerful voice, but in a hoarse whisper that sounded like a bow being sawed across violin strings that were drawn too tight. Garoid. I managed to talk around the lump in my throat as I fumbled my phone out of my pocket, clicking the built-in flashlight. Sarah? Sarah? 
There was no answer but the continuous whisper of my name, and I knew I had to find the source. I somehow willed my legs to move and navigated towards the voice, my flashlight illuminating the dark halls. The whisper became louder as I neared her parents' bedroom, which I remembered too late had the largest window in the house. A big picture window with a window seat we used to sit on and read when we were in middle school. And as I slowly opened the door, thunder rumbled again and my flashlight winked out. I thought I might have hit the off button with my shaking hand, but as I raised that phone to my face, I saw it had died, even though the battery had been at 92% when I arrived at Sarah's. As I stood on the threshold of the master bedroom, my eyes squeezed shut against the darkness. The whisper became almost deafening, and I felt a cold, stale wind blow around me. I had to go in, and as I stepped forward into the room, the door slammed shut. As I opened my eyes, I fought the urge to run back through the door and leave, but I knew I had to find Sarah. There, at the picture window, which was open despite the fact that it only opened from the inside, and I knew her parents would not have left it unlocked. But there at that picture window was a creature out of my nightmares. Its shape was large, towering almost to the top of the eight-foot-high window, and was crouched in the side garden like some monstrous toad. I had expected my first sighting of the shadow from the bushes to look like some sort of eldritch monster, but this creature looked more natural than I could ever imagine. Its hide looked like bark, its long, wizened arms looked like tree branches, the hair hanging lankily around its head like Spanish moss. It would have almost looked like an enormous stump if not for the face which was huge and pointed with a long witch-like nose and a mouth full of broken green grinning teeth. At last, the creature said in a voice like groaning trees and snapped violin strings, we meet. I'd been frozen solid upon the sight of the creature, but I somehow found my voice upon hearing it speak. What the hell do you want with Sarah? Why are you here? And what the hell are you? Creature looked at me, simply as if it were appraising me, and then it laughed. Its laugh sounded like wind shrieking through the slats of an unkept house, and its voice was low, as if it had all the time in the world. Some call me the old man of the crossroads. Some call me the one who answers. Some call me troll. It grinned as if this was amusing to him. We have come for payment. The land, the land, the land. Kyomine made the pact. The land was hers, but no longer. It is yours, and we have come for payment. I stared at the thing, completely uncomprehending, until it dawned on me. My grandmother's name was Kaomi, and she had made her pact for the land when she was 17. 
my age. After she died, the Fae waited until I was of age and came for me, for payment, for the pact. I kept my distance from the window. That doesn't answer all my questions. Where is Sarah? I yelled over the howling wind, but the creature just chuckled the shrieking wind laugh. The girl. The girl. Perhaps she's under the hill. Perhaps we shall keep her there until the payment is made. Perhaps, perhaps, perhaps. I felt my blood turn to ice. These things had Sarah, my best friend, and they seemed to have no intention on giving her back. What do you want? I don't care about the land. You could take it. Just give Sarah back and leave me alone. The creature sighed as if we're thinking. Its earthen, hulking body shivered as it scratched its chin with one long, gnarled tree branch finger. You are a strong one. So was Kaomi. It chuckled, heaving another sigh as it settled its body further into the side garden, releasing a smell of overturned earth and damp moss. I will extend to you the same challenge I extended Kaomi. For the land, the land, the land, and the girl. Should you beat me at my own game, the land, the land, and the girl, the girl, are yours. Should you fail? The creature trailed off and grinned, its leathery face splitting in two as it showed all its broken teeth. You are mine. I felt unable to speak, unable to move, unable to breathe. The thing, the troll, was going to take me, my best friend, and most likely my mom, to God knows where to do God knows what to us if I didn't accept his challenge. I didn't know what to do. Well, boy, boy, is your silence a refusal? The creature ran one gnarled hand over the windowsill, and something dawned on me. If you want me so bad, why don't you just come in here and take me? It was a foolhardy thing to say, but I figured I could run from it. It moves slower than Christmas. My question seemed to anger it, and its mossy eyebrows met in a snarl. I cannot come inside, unless you invite me, boy. Your friend was kind enough to come outside for me. It grinned then and chuckled. My anger reignited. I needed to get Sarah back. Uh, fine. I accept your challenge, or whatever it is. And at that exact moment, lightning cracked across the sky, and for a split second I saw the creature in its entirety, which nearly made my heart stop. It was bigger than I had imagined, its back humped and covered in fungi and moss, reaching nearly to the roof of the house. I swallowed. Delightful. I shall ask you... Three questions, boy. If you answer all correctly, the land, the land, the land, and the girl, the girl, the girl, is yours. We shall leave you alone. Its cracked smile didn't falter. But if you answer a single question wrong. It trailed off, one wizened hand sweeping a grand gesture. 
I didn't need it to elaborate. I nodded, not sure I trusted my voice to speak as I sat at the edge of Sarah's parents' bed, staring at the creature, backlit by the storm. It rubbed its gnarled hands together in pleasure. Wonderful. It has been so long, long since one of your kind accepted my challenge. Now. It paused as if in deep thought before beginning, its voice a low, almost melodic rumble. My tines are long, my tines are short, my tines and air, my first report. What am I? I almost felt like laughing with relief when I heard the riddle. Grandma and I would spend hours telling each other riddles back and forth when I was a child, and I'd gotten so good at them, I would even leave her stumped and come up with answers to her hardest mind-benders. Whenever I asked her why she was so interested in riddles, she would just stroke my hair and say, You never know when they'll come in handy, Gerard. You never know. I knew now. I wondered if Grandma had told me all the riddles, trying to prepare me for the troll to come and ask for payment, or simply to keep her mind sharp. There was no time to think about it now as I mulled over the troll's questions. Well, boy, boy, do you give up? It sounded pleased, thinking I was so easy to break, and I glared at it. No, I was just thinking. I glanced past the troll just as a bright flash of lightning forked and hit a tree not far from Sarah's horse pasture, and my eyes widened. Lightning. You're lightning. The troll's eyes narrowed, and I could tell he was surprised at my answer. Very well. He readjusted his bulk, his contorted fingers resting on the windowsill. Never ahead, ever behind, yet flying swiftly past. For a babe I last forever, for adults I'm gone too fast. What am I? I swallowed, my eyes glued to the floor to keep away from looking at the creature in front of me. I thought of how it must have waited all these years, watching, and how the rest of the Fae hated me for being on their land, for being able to see them. I thought of the strange shadows I'd seen melting across my bedroom floor at night, only to disappear when I turned on the bedside lamp. The strange laughter and broken music I heard on winter nights, always out of reach when it swirled in on the freezing wind. Or how many other children had made fun of me for screaming that I saw a squat frog-like creatures with sharp teeth grinning at me from the woods around the edge of the playground. How I nearly drowned one summer swimming in the lake on Sarah's property when we were barely in sixth grade because I felt webbed fingers latch onto my ankle and try to drag me down into the darkness. Childhood. The troll's semblance of a smile twisted into a scowl and I allowed myself the faintest of grins. I thought of my grandmother standing in front of the same beast at my age, terrified but willing to go to any lengths to protect her family and friends. It made my smile wider. Oh, you are a clever boy. Boy, I see. 
but not clever enough for my final riddle. I know you are not, not clever enough. It's the form hand raised, and though it couldn't get into the house, its shadow stretched across the floor and set a bolt of panic through my chest. The thing that all things devours, birds, beasts, tree, flowers, gnaws iron, bites steel, grinds hard stones down to meal, slays kings and ruins towns, and beats the highest mountain down. What am I? I took a deep breath, my fists clenched against the quilt on Sarah's parents' bed. My smile had faded as the troll told the riddle. It was one not even my grandmother had alluded to. I refused to let the anxiety show on my face, but as I sat there staring at the ground, trying to think, the troll laughed. I had been silent for several minutes, and the storm was getting worse, and every second I delayed, Sarah was stuck under the hill, and I had no idea what they were doing to her. They could already have my mom for all I knew, and I wondered how my grandmother did this. How did she live her life knowing there was a secret world all around her, and everything in it hated her? That she had to risk her and everyone she loves life just to keep them from mortal harm. She was stronger than me, I didn't know how I was going to handle day-to-day -day life if I got out of here alive. Do you give up, boy? Boy, it is a difficult riddle. Do not be ashamed to admit defeat. His green teeth showed as he grinned, and I could hear the violin strings snapping and branches creaking in his voice. No, no, I don't give up. I just need a little more time. I tried my hardest to keep my voice subdued as the troll shifted to its full height, fingers unfurling. Time was not in the bargain, boy. So boy, either you answer or you do not. My teeth gritted as I opened my mouth to say God knows what, but I stopped. It was as if Grandma was sitting next to me, stroking my hair and shaking her head. The answer was right in front of you, Garrod. You're just too impatient to see it. She'd always say that in the earlier days of our game when I'd give up in a snit after taking too long to answer a riddle. I knew the riddle. Time. Time is the answer. I stood up off the bed and grinned. The troll scowled harder than I'd ever seen, opened its mouth, and howled. It was unlike anything I'd ever heard before in my life, a cacophony of broken, screaming instruments and wailing animals and crying women, as well as wind ripping through the trees and ocean waves crashing against rock. The windows slammed shut with a crack, a few panes of glass shattering and falling onto the window seat. The power flicked on and off crazily, the lights dimming and brightening as the troll howled. Then, as soon as it started, it was all over. I opened my eyes from where I'd taken cover behind the bathroom door, and the troll was gone. 
The only proof of its existence was the faint smell of moss and lichen blowing in from the cracked window, and what I knew had happened. Sarah's parents arrived home not long after and found me sitting under their window clutching an iron poker from the fireplace and their daughter missing. I think I passed out when Sarah's mom started screaming, and I don't remember much after that. They found Sarah later the next morning, about three miles away from her house. She wandered into a neighboring farmer's barn, claiming she'd been abducted by strange women with deer forelegs and hooves and men with rib cages for torsos. She told the police they forced her to answer riddles to avoid them feeding her strange food and hurting her, but wasn't able to answer all of them. The bruises all over her body attested to that, but the police didn't believe her story. I didn't think they would, but I knew better. She didn't. She was new to this. She told people. Her parents sent her to a psych ward for three months. I visited her almost every day that I could, and I told her I believed her. She cried, usually, and told me about how food had no taste and she was hungry all the time, and she couldn't sleep because of the strange music and voices calling her name. The day she was released, she looked terrible. She was skinnier than ever, with dark shadows under her eyes and hollow cheekbones. She hugged me tight, though, and told me she was sorry with tears in her eyes. I wasn't sure what she meant until she vanished out of her bedroom that night. When her parents let me in her room to see if I wanted any of her things, it smelled like moss and lichen. And when I left, I saw a hulking shadow under her window, and I thought I heard laughter like creaky branches and storm wind on the breeze. Sarah never did come back, and I'm not sure if I should be happy or horrified that she didn't. Her time spent under the hill changed her, made her a different person. Maybe she was happier there now that she was one of them. I didn't know. I'd never know, thank God, though I felt terrible for thinking it. I had Grandma's house torn down, even the foundation. I refused to sell the land even though I had everyone from farmers to developers begging me for it, offering me a king's ransom for the rich soil. I wouldn't put anybody through that. I wouldn't will it to my children as if I would have any other. When I die... Whenever that was, the pact would die with me. I still hear the voices, the music, and the whispering. I still see shadows out of the corner of my eye, and I still won't swim in natural bodies of water, because water fae are notorious for trying to drown people. I still hear them calling, though I've gotten better at ignoring it. I won't go to them, and I won't listen to them. On late winter nights, when I'm up in the wee hours trying to write another chunk of whatever it is I'm working on before my publisher's deadline, the call is the hardest to resist. Sometimes, I find myself out of my chair with my hand on the doorknob, 
before I remember Grandma telling me to be strong. I remember the troll thinking he'd won. I remember Sarah, how vibrant and full of life she had been before the hill took her. It's enough for me to lock my doors tighter, put my headphones on, and drown out whatever it is I hear. I know they won't ever go away, won't ever stop trying and reaching for me, and I know no one will ever believe me. But for as long as I can remember, strange things have happened to me, and they probably happened to you too. So, the next time you hear an unexplained noise in the middle of the night, or see a mysterious light just beyond the hill, don't go searching for it. Don't follow it. Close your eyes. Walk the other direction. And be glad you can't see the things that I can see.